Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Good that you have all here braved the rain and the weather to be in the house of the Lord here tonight. Going to be turning to Acts chapter number five here this evening. Acts chapter number five. So glad to have everybody. And we are uh, glad to have uh, Tammy Gorley with us here. Amen. This evening. Amen. All the way from Albany, but relocating here in the city of Mount Carmel works over in the Princeton area and so we want them just to be welcome here amen to worship with us and serve the Lord with us as we try to do our best amen from here to there along life's journey Acts 5 I'm going to try to make some real good headway tonight not everybody laughs at that we're going to try to make some headway here tonight. I'm going to try to finish up chapter 5 tonight but I'm going to start out by taking it in just block portions here this evening and starting with Acts 5 and verse number 12. Uh, next, next Wednesday, we will, be, we will be starting the next two, two Wednesdays or the next two Wednesdays prior to our presidential election. And so the next two Wednesdays, I'll be here with that in mind, talking about issues. As a church, you can only do so much, but you can talk about issues. I cannot endorse a candidate or anything in this type of setting but I can talk about the issues and then talk about how each candidate uh, weigh in on those particular issues and so it'll be a little bit of an informative perhaps uh, type of, of, of thing we've done this before in our last presidential election and did this as well and so the next two Wednesdays that's will be that'll be the focus you get a little break from the book of Acts uh, per se and uh, we're still going to be biblical about the issues though Still going to be very biblical about the issues. Amen. Acts 5, verse 12. The Bible says, And by the hands of the apostles were many signs and wonders wrought among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. And of the rest durst no man join himself to them. But the people magnified them. And believers were the more added to the Lord, multitudes both of men and women, insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. There came also a multitude out of the cities round about unto Jerusalem, bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one. Tonight as a title to kind of umbrella to put all this under just call it this evening and this is a, a little passage of scripture but persecuted but not forsaken persecuted but not forsaken amen here tonight let's ask God to help us in this Bible lesson father I love you here this evening God we're so grateful Lord for your spirit that we have felt Lord throughout this service Lord in the songs that was Lord Lord done here tonight we pray oh Lord allow us Lord Jesus, to open our eyes and our hearts and minds, God, to receive from the Word of God. Center our lives around it. God, that we know, Lord, you're able to speak to us by it. Lord, and we'll give you the praise and the honor, God, for what you accomplish and do in this place. In Jesus' name that I pray, the church say amen. Amen. You may be seated here this evening. Amen. Persecuted, not forsaken. Just as some introductory words here tonight. You'll get the feeling from time to time as you read through the book of Acts uh, from chapter 1 to chapter 28 that, that feeling of kind of deja vu, meaning that, you know, perhaps I've experienced this already in the book of Acts or I've already read this in the book of Acts, something maybe identical to what you've seen or read or uh, experienced before in the book of Acts because the book of Acts is really filled with a little bit of a cycle almost from, from, from place to place, story to story, chapter to chapter. And it's almost like this. There's a sign or there's a wonder. You know, there's some great work that takes place. And then there's some type of persecution because of that or some type of questioning as a result of that. 
And then there's a following up of some very sound preaching, you know, concerning that. And it's holding uh, people accountable in the audience for for their, their sin, you know, that, that thing that we've seen already several times and we'll see again tonight. You know, Peter preaching this sermon, you all crucified the Lord. God raised him up, you know, type of scenario that takes place in the Bible. And then there's that, that degree of uh, the council or the officials reproving, you know, the apostles or the believers. Uh, and they suffer to a certain degree or extent. And then they are released or kept incarcerated. And so that just seems to be kind of the pattern of the book of Acts over and over again. And it may vary just a little bit, but that, that, that's the pattern of it. Whenever we read in the scripture the result of the verses that I read to you, of verses 12 through 16, uh, the, the result of those verses are nothing more, just a little bit for review, is nothing more than an answer to their own prayer. Again, if you'll see here that there are signs and wonders that are being wrought by the apostles and by the people, and earlier they prayed, in Acts chapter number 4, verses 29 and 30, they pray, God, give us boldness to speak your word. And that by the stretching forth of our hand that there would be signs and that there would be miracles and that people would be healed. And so, man, thank God in their little, if they keep a little prayer chart or prayer list, they can mark that one off. You know, God answered prayer because miracles and signs and wonders were continuing to be done uh, with boldness in their life. As a matter of fact, faith was so high. Faith was so high of the people at this moment for healing that they were bringing sick people into the streets, hoping that, that Peter's shadow would pass over them and perhaps that someone would get healed just by the shadow of Peter passing over some of them. Now, I want you to know, this just wasn't, uh, sometimes we, we stereotype things like this. This wasn't just uh, per se poor people that was coming out to get their healing. This was poor people, middle-class people, rich people. This was just people. This was all people bringing their sick out to the streets. And the reason why I know that is because the Bible says they brought them out on beds and out on couches. Two, two different words, but, but really close to being the same, meaning that, that a bed or one of those type of nature usually relate to, a, to the poor man, a more simpler type of structure of a bed. But a couch was that, that, that more related to the rich, the more elaborate, you know, it might have been the sleigh bed. I don't know, you know, it was a more elaborate, you know, type of bed. So we have uh, two type of economic statuses, if you will, just in those words alone that are coming out looking for healing from the Lord. And so, man, if Peter's shadow, hoping that his, his shadow would just pass over them so that they would be healed, come to find out that this, this was even a common practice in their culture and in their day, the, the Oriental people, very, and whenever I say Oriental, I'm not talking about Asian. I'm just talking about of, of that district and of that time. They believed that a man's shadow, a man's shadow carried his influence. And, and in that culture, parents would literally run and take their children into the shadow of great men, hoping that the influence of that great men would impact and affect their children. And likewise, parents, I know this is bad, but parents would snatch their kids up if they seen a, 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 the shadow of a man that, that would possibly have a negative impact because they knew his life was going by. They would snatch their kids away, Brother Terry, from his shadow passing over them because they believed so much that the influence of a person was very much so in their shadow. And so here they are taking, you know, their sick ones out to this, this, this Peter. He's already preached a lot. He's already had a lot of influence on the New Testament church. They're getting them out there just by chance that they might be healed. That's interesting to me tonight because the Bible does speak about uh, this concept of shadow throughout the word of the Lord. The Bible speaks in a few places of different ones trusting in a shadow of a nation or in the shadow of a person having trust or confidence in that. David, throughout the Psalms, he has penned more than, than just in one place in Psalms. He talks about how the shadow of God's wings. You remember that? He talked about the shadow of God's wings in the Psalms and how that the shadow of God's wings are trustworthy. In another place, he talks about the shadow of God's wings were capable of hiding him and protecting him, the shadow of God's wings. The Bible says in Psalms 
91 and 1, perhaps more of a familiar verse to us or some of us. He says, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. And so there's this idea through Psalms about the shadow of his wings. And so when we think about that and put Scripture with Scripture and correlate Scripture with Scripture, I pulled in a Scripture from the book of Malachi, Malachi 4 and 2, that says, But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise, speaking of Christ, the Messiah, with healing in his wings. It goes to prove then why David and the psalm may have already been alluding to that you can trust in, hide in, find protection from the, the wings or the shadow of the wings of the Lord because Malachi stands up and said not only is it the shadow of his wings but there is healing. There's healing in those wings. So you can trust in them. You can take your refuge in the shadow of his wings because there's healing in those wings. Someone say amen. amen. And if you'll remember, the book of Acts was not the finality of the ministry of Jesus. Luke said throughout the Gospels, it's what he had begun to do and to teach, remember? And so his apostles, his disciples are continuing to do what he began to do and to preach. And so it's no surprise then that people are bringing out their sick. Laying them in the streets hoping that even the shadow of one who was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ might touch them. And perhaps that man having the spirit of God in that man, perhaps he would be healed of his dilemma. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon 2 and verse 3, this is a, 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 in, in literature, it's a simile really what takes place here. It is the Shulamite and her beloved. But it says, as the apple tree among the trees of the wood... So is my beloved among the sons. She says, I sat down under his shadow with great delight and his fruit was sweet to my taste. So here is the Shulamite comparing her beloved to an apple tree which stands out from all the other trees because it is a fruit bearing tree. And she says, her beloved then is like this apple tree, different from any other sons of men because just like the apple tree, there is provision. Just as there's provision when you're near the apple tree and that's different from other trees, she says there's provision near to my beloved because he's different than anybody else. That's our God tonight, amen. And whenever Peter had that spirit of that God inside of him, amen, people recognize that. You know, people want to be around people. They have the spirit of God. Have you ever heard the phrase, you know, there's just something different about you. What it is is that they're noticing something about a little trustworthy shadow that's concerning you. There's something in your life that seems to mean to them that there's some type of provision. There's something that they can benefit from sometimes even just being around. You know, I, like, I kind of like being around you. You've heard it. It's that spirit of God that we have. Amen. And so look at this. The impact of these happenings, the impact of these signs and these miracles and these wonders, they are so pervasive. That they are not just affecting Jerusalem, but the Bible says the people are even coming from different cities beyond Jerusalem to bring their sick for a miracle to get healed into the city. People even with unclean spirits, they're bringing for the purpose of healing as well. Not just Jerusalem, but beyond Jerusalem. And so then I want to go back to, though, in verse number 12, that little, there's a statement there in parentheses, all right? And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. It starts right there. There's a little parenthesis statement I skipped over on purpose. I come back to it now. The Bible says they were all there in one accord in Solomon's porch. Solomon's. Everybody say Solomon's porch. Now remember, in Acts 3, it was in that position, we learned from Acts 3 and 4, that this was the place where the man who had been lame from birth, that's where the vicinity where he was healed. In that, in that vicinity, because we, we, we read, we note the gate beautiful, yes, that's where he lay, but whenever he's walking and leaping and all the crowd gathers, all this happens, it's in the vicinity of the temple, but more particularly over in this area of, of, Solomon's, of Solomon's porch. And so now the people are congregating in this area. They've heard stories from this area. Jesus and John had visited that area. And so they're all around here, the temple in this particular vicinity. And what they're doing is they're expecting something very similar to happen again. 
I guess what I'm trying to get at is this, that that is just proof in, its, in itself that whenever a location gets a reputation, that people will go there with an expectancy that matches the reputation. Well, I'm saying if a church is known as a worshiping church or if it's known that, man, there's been a lot of people that I know stories come from people being healed. Whenever you gain a reputation, people will come to the location for the purpose and an expectancy. If the reputation is they're, they're a worshiping church, then they're going to come expecting that you are what the, right? What has been spoken. What's been common knowledge ran about. So these people are gathering again, no doubt, with an expectancy to experience the same thing that that lame man had experienced some signs and miracles and healings. Now, last week we elaborated just a little bit on the Bible says the rest durst no man join himself to them. Remember after the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira holding back some of the money, but more importantly lying to the Holy Ghost, lying to them after the judgment, there were uh, uh, the rest of them, the rest did not join themselves to the apostles. And just to fairly define what all that is, what this means, the rest, it means people who were of the same mentality as Ananias and Sapphira. People that were of the same mentality of Ananias and Sapphira, uh, they, they kept at distance, if you will, from the apostles. Amen. It's not that everyone kept distance because verse 14 proves that. But evidently there was a group here that were very similar of the mindset like Ananias and Sapphira, the two that are now dead, that they, they didn't want to chance anything right now. <laughs> they didn't know if they could be totally uh, devoted and with total abandon, you know, transparent before the apostles and before God for that, for that reason. For, 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 for one thing, let me say, like, they kind of had the mentality like this. I'm not going to go, go join the church because they call sin, sin. Maybe that makes best sense. I'm not going to go there because, uh, you know, they got there before Peter and he said, uh, is this what it was? And they said, yeah. And they like, he just called them out on the carpet, you know. And so I don't know if I'm real comfortable with that. Everybody wants a loving God and still be comfortable with their sin. Okay. <laughs> but before anybody thinks it's wrong to deal with sin here tonight in a straightforward yet compassionate way right because you know the concept is you don't want to do that because people won't want to come we better reconsider then when we look at verse 14 that tells us believers were the more added to the Lord multitudes of people both men and women. You know, it amazes me that on the heels of Peter calling in question the 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 attitude, the 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 motive behind Ananias and Sapphira and taking care of business, God ultimately did the deed of snatching their lives, but just calling it to the front that on the heels of all of that. We got growth in the church. You know why? Because it's hard to have growth in the church when there's cancer in the church. And I'm not talking about a literal cancer. I'm talking about when there's sin taking place and nobody's laying any finger down. You remember in the Old Testament whenever Achan partook in Judges, right? Judges 6 or 7. Whenever Achan partook of the accursed thing. Right? The whole nation of Israel suffered. They went to fight against AI. Or, uh, yeah, they went to fight against AI. They come back with their tail tucked between their legs. They thought it was going to be an easy foe. And so Joshua falls before the Lord wanting to know what in the world's going on. He's basically telling me, he said, Israel has sinned. Well, the whole nation of Israel hadn't sinned. Achan, one individual, a man out of one tribe of sin. But because he was part of the nation... What one lone man did had an impact upon everybody. Uh -huh. And it wasn't until they took care of business with Achan and the family that they were able to move on, go back to AI, and be victorious. 
See, there's a lot of things that can hinder progress in a church. Think back, if you will, to Aaron and Miriam and Moses. They're on a journey. Moses and Miriam get together and say, we think it's not right that you took Zipporah, you know, to be your wife. And they start calling him on the carpet. God shows up, takes care of business, and he strikes Miriam with leprosy. She turns white from the top of her head to the sole of her feet. And the Bible says they were in delay and forgoing for seven days. Progress stopped for seven days because somebody had something in their crawl. So, <laughs> amen. And so, 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 yes, absolutely, there's nothing wrong. Amen. There's nothing wrong with, with taking care and talking about the concept of sin and doing so compassionately. That isn't going to keep people from coming to God. That is not going to keep people from coming to God. Amen. They came anyway. Amen. God is going to have a glorious church. A glorious, glorious church. Amen. The Bible says that, that these ones that were of the similar mindset of, of Ananias and Sapphira, that they refrained, the word that is used, they, they, they refrained, if you will, from, from joining. They durst not join. They durst not join. That word join, the Greek means to be glued. They durst not be, or to be stuck fast. <laughs> they durst not join. They durst not be glued or stuck fast. Let me say it like this. They didn't want to limit their option. Honey, whenever I came to know the Lord, I'd done away with plan B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I. You hear what I'm talking about? I've become glued to him. Stuck fast to him. I'm not in this thing saying if it don't work out. No, no, that's not a part of my vocabulary. See, these folks didn't want to join them. They didn't want to per se limit themselves. Amen. Limit themselves just to God. Amen. When we look at this word join, it's used throughout the New Testament, primarily throughout the New Testament. But whenever you look at it, the, the most applicable place that it is used is in our most intimate relationship, human relationship, and that is marriage. You talk about a man being joined, remember, to his wife. You see that in New Testament scripture. That's this very same word, that, that most intimate human relationship, because we know in this dynamic of marriage, what happens? You forsake all others. And so what we were dealing with was a mindset of some people that said, you know what, I'm not, no, I don't know if I'm willing yet to forsake everything else. And become glued and fastened to the Lord. Someone say amen. amen. Let's go on. Chapter, verse number 17. I'm going by blocks, by blocks tonight. All right? I know there's 42 verses in this chapter. Somebody's scratching their head and wondering. Chapter, verse number 17. The Bible says, Then the high priest rose up, and all that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison but the angel of the lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said will you look at this just for a moment so these officials because the miracles are taking place the signs and the wonders are happening they're saying man this is what they did before we got to go take care of business we got to take them we're going to go incarcerate them and that's exactly what they did they went and got their hands not just peter and john now you know it's the group of the apostles and they they went and got them and they incarcerated them put them behind prison doors and wouldn't you know this is just fantastic you don't read a whole lot about because there's not a lot of detail about it but the bible says they were put in prison and the lord sent an angel to get them out of prison so here's some people that's trying to stop the miracles, but all it did was prevent, present another opportunity for another miracle. Now, and, and you look at the irony. God is so great. He has, he has, like we taught, you know, he laughs. He, well, he's, got, he's got some humor in him. The irony of all this, notice the Bible says it was that sect of the Sadducees. Remember, they're sad, you see, because they don't believe in angels. They don't, you know, they don't believe in these type of things. Look at this. So the Sadducees placed these apostles in prison, and the irony of it is this. Then God sent an angel, something they don't even believe in, to deliver them out of the situation. You tell me God isn't, I mean, he's high class, man. He's, he's oh, God. He's, high, he's my type of guy, man. That's great. 
So he sent an angel to deliver them out of this, this, this situation, amen, that they were in. If we continue reading, uh, uh, let, let's, let's continue reading just a little further down. Let me go on to verse number 23. I might do a little jumping around. The, the Bible says whenever there came some officers to check out this prison, that, that, that the prison truly, it says, saying, verse 23, saying the prison truly found we shut with all safety and the keeper standing without before the doors. But when he had opened, we found no man within. So the officials got there the next day. They didn't find him in prison. But not only that, everything was just safe and shut just like it ought to be. It's not, it's, there's no indication of forced entry. There's no indication of forced exit. Right? And so, I mean, that's yet another miracle within itself. No, as a matter of fact, if you notice, you'll read the scripture there. No one ever asked. The question is never asked, how did those boys get out? The official said, nobody's ever asking how those boys get out. You know what? This is just Paul McGee opinion. I'm afraid they were afraid of the answer. That it was just going to unfold another miracle. By God, we're not going to, you know, ask no questions, get no answers type thing. Because if it's another miracle, man, that's just going to, you know, just kind of just begin to. This thing's going to grow and get worse and worse. So we're not even going to ask how in the world they got out. Right? Now, let's, let's back back up to verse number 20. Because verse 19 told us that the angel came forth and said. He was about ready to say something. Look at verse number 20. The angel says to the guys who were in prison. He says, go, stand and speak in the temple to the people. All the words of this life. Now, here you are. Just, just. Just moments earlier, you were preaching in the name of Jesus, all right? People were getting healed. There, there, there were miracles taking place. People showed up. They weren't happy about what you were doing. They put you in prison, okay? Now an angel shows up and says, boys, it's jailhouse break. Jailhouse break. We're getting out of here. And by the way, I got a commission from the Lord for you. Go back to exactly where you were at. Stand there and start doing exactly what you were doing. Now, if you're going to try to understand all the height, width, and breadth of God, you might as well forget it. Because you imagine being told, I want you to go back to where you was just arrested and do exactly what you was just doing. Now, angel, that's what got me here in the first place. I don't care. Go. So he says, go, stand, and speak. Folks, let me tell you something. Those three words and what was spoken to those men should be some encouragement. For anybody that's sitting in this building tonight that's ever felt like quitting. That's ever felt like giving up after you've been met with opposition. That's ever felt like that, you know what, question sometimes, you know, God's will, right? Questioning God's will at times when things didn't happen as easily as you thought they should happen. Can I just be a voice of reason to unite? Please don't throw in the towel. Please don't throw in this towel. If I can be the, the, the angelic voice of our hour, let me tell you, if you've been met with opposition, it's not always turned out the way you thought. Listen to me tonight. Go, stand, and speak. What are you saying? Go back and do what you were doing before you felt like everything was crumbling down upon you. Go again. Speak again. Put your shoulder to the grindstone again. Speak again. Stand, stand fast again. Hallelujah. They were to speak all. Everyone say all. They were to speak all the words of this life to the people. That, that's kind of peculiar. You know, go speak the words of this life to the people. The Bible says, if I can just correlate two verses of Scripture, two passages of Scripture together. John 11 and verse 24 and 25, this is Jesus, four days, as some would say, late, but on time, to the grave of Lazarus. Martha saith unto him, having conversation, I know that he, speaking of her brother Lazarus, shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. 
Jesus also says in John 14 and verse 19, he says, yet a little while in the world seeth me no more. Talking about passing off here. But ye see me because I live, ye shall live also. So Jesus said in John 11, Jesus said in John 11 to Martha, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He says in John 14, because I live, ye shall live. Here is the, the, the smoldering down, if you will, of speaking all the words of this life. Because the key to the message, the key to the message of this life was and is the resurrection. Uh-huh. Because we can only truly live in this life because of the resurrection. What are you saying? I'm saying there's people today, they're living, but they're not really living. They're living, but they're not really living. The old song used to say, I just started living. You know what it's talking about? It's talking about receiving the same spirit. It's talking about receiving the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That it will be a quickening of this mortal body. Not just on the day of rapture, but every day you live in this life. And if you have that spirit, you have that resurrection power spirit, then you are living this life to its fullness while you're walking in shoe leather. So when he said go back and preach to those people and speak to them all the words of this life, he says talk to them again about the resurrection. Talk to them again about living a life right now in this world. Empowered by the Spirit. Amen. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. He said, nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He said, go, stand, speak to them all the words in this life. Now, there's a concern here. They go, they do this. Again, they are sought out again they realize the prison is empty and verse 24 says of acts 5 now when the high priest and the captains of the temple and the chief priests heard these things they doubted of them whereunto this would grow that's that's a little wordy they doubted of them whereunto this would grow what this means is is that these high priests and these chief priests and these captains of the temple that basically they were holy or they were completely at a loss because of this discovery of them not being there. They did not know what to think of these apostles. For that matter, they didn't know what to expect from them. And they didn't know, they didn't know what else would become of them or what might be. In other words, listen to me, you got to catch this. In this phrase is the fact of the matter that they weren't so much overtaken by what happened. But if they weren't stopped, what might happen? Woo! Oh my God, I tell you what, that's good stuff right there. Honey, whenever you have the opposer on the edge of their seat, not so much concerned about what's taking place in your life or in your church right now, but more worried about what might be happening next Sunday or what might be happening tomorrow as if they've went to this degree now, I wonder what the next degree. Honey, it's time to make hell nervous over what you're going to do tomorrow and what this church is going to do next week and the week after. I'm not finished here. This is not where we're stopping. This is only where we're beginning. Just didn't know what to do with them. <laughs> Woo! Someone say amen. amen. And so let's pick up at verse... Verse 25, taking it by blocks. Then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. They're not in the prison, didn't know where they were. Here comes somebody with intel. Guess what? They're right where they were when you first found them. And it's not like they're just there. But they are. They're in the exact same spot where you apprehended them. And we even can see in Scripture, 
that evidently they were obedient to the words of the angel because the Bible describes them that they are there and they are standing and they are teaching, or if you will, and speaking to the people. Now, if you're on the opposite side of this, any of you, you just incarcerating all this happening, you th- what the goal, right? I mean, who do these folks think they are? <laughs> oh, God, help us. And so the, the, the officials come in, and, and the Bible says, we, we continue reading here, verse number 26. Then went the captain with the officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. So they're not going in there flexing their muscles. They're going there taking without. Why? Because, son, this has just went around like an infection now. People are seeing the truth. People are experiencing something they never experienced. And they kind of like it. And so the official's not coming in here flexing their muscles. Because, man, I tell you what, in, in this culture, in this area, man, it didn't take somebody to just sneeze wrong to start a riot. I mean, you know, you cross your eyes at the wrong time and stones start flying. You're a dead man on the side of the road. I'm telling you, you just, you just didn't do that type of thing. So they were careful. They didn't do this with violence. They knew the spirits of the people were high. Emotions were high. Amen. So they didn't want no stoning, no riot taking place. So they took them without violence for fear of their own welfare. Now let's continue on verse 27. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, here we go, interrogation time. Verse 28, saying, did not we straightly command? you that you should not teach in this name and behold you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us so here we go they're said that they're being reprimanded again for treat teaching in this name and they're being reprimanded also for filling look the word filling Jerusalem with their doctrine ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine Folks, that is a very positive statement. Very positive statement. Even whenever you consider this. You remember back at Acts 1 and 8, several, you know Acts 1 and 8. How they're going to be witnesses unto Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world, right? Look, if you, if they truly had filled Jerusalem... With all, with, with their doctrine, filled all of Jerusalem with their doctrine, then what that tells us is this, that they must be on the verge of moving beyond Jerusalem because they've already knocked every door, spoke to every person, turned over every rock they could turn over in Jerusalem. And so now we got to go into all Judea and Samaria because we've done everything. We, we, we're going beyond all of this. And, and, and look now. And they said, and you're trying to bring the blood, the, this man's blood, Jesus' blood, upon us. In other words, you're trying to accuse us of his death. You're trying to put his blood upon us. But folks, whenever they said that, in reality, they were getting exactly what they had already asked for. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew 27 and verse 25 After Pilate had washed his hands of the blood of Jesus and said, I'm innocent of this man's blood, do with him as you may. Then the Bible says these people cried out and answered all the people and said, his blood be on us and on our children. In other words, that's okay. Let our posterity suffer for what's been done. But you know who's standing there now? Some of these people, some of their sons and daughters and some of them. And you're saying, well, you're putting this blood, the cause of this man's death upon us. No, you already asked for that back then whenever you was crucifying him. You said, let this blood be upon us. Right? Peter deals with them. Look now, now, verse, verse number 29. Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. We took a whole, a whole Wednesday out on the fact and the notion of civil disobedience. And so this is what Peter and the other apostles are stating their claim to civil disobedience. Their allegiance is to God in these matters rather than man. So, so Peter then now, watch what he does. He's going to lay, he's going to lay the ax to, the, to, the, to the, the root of the tree in verse 30. Then God 
the God of our fathers raised up Jesus. Here's something he always points home. Whom ye slew and hanged on a tree. Let me go on. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. So Peter is driving a point home here. He's bringing it down. He's saying y'all was responsible for Jesus' death and God raised him up. Folks, the reason why Peter constantly drives this point home over and over again is this. Because these people considered themselves close to God. They considered themselves close to God. Followers of God. Uh, Their allegiance was to God. But he's trying to bring to their understanding. If you are so close to God, then why are your actions toward Jesus different or in opposition to what God did for him? You crucified him. But God raised him up. Huh? <laughs> and he says, this, this one that has come, he said he's been exalted to be the prince and the savior. Right. Now in Acts 4, I think it was, that we hear that Christ is being referred to as this prince of life. Remember? The prince of life in the previous chapter. Peter tells him again, God has, God has exalted him to be a prince and a savior. Here's a little tidbit I came across, thought very interesting, perhaps very interesting for Peter, being that he had been a fisherman, and perhaps struck a chord with Peter since he was a fisherman. But Peter used this term prince, it's archigas in the Greek, probably not pronounced exactly like that. But nevertheless, that word prince is that Greek word, and it's a word that they used as fishermen. And this would no doubt resonate with Peter since that was his old way of life. Now, let me tell you what the purpose of this prince or this Archegus is on the boat. On each ship that they would have out upon the water, there would be one among them that would be designated the stronger or the strongest swimmer on their ship who was called the prince or the Archegus. And it was this person that whenever the ship got in trouble... Whenever it became very turbulent or it was in trouble, that strongest swimmer, it was his job with a rope tied around his waist to dive into the water, swim to the shore, secure the rope. And as a result of having done that, everybody else that was on the ship could get to the shore by aid of the rope that the prince secured. Peter could identify with that. He says, honey, we're we're in a ship that's headed down. These are turbulent times, bad times. He said, but God, through Christ Jesus, has provided a prince, a swimmer stronger than any other, and he's already secured something at Calvary that's opened up a provision, opened up a way for each and every one of us to abandon this boat and get to Get to a shore of safety. Someone say hallelujah. 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 Woo. Mm. And he says in verse 32, and we are his witnesses of these things. And so also is the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey said, so we've witnessed these things, no doubt. Some of us with our natural eyes. But the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. He said both the apostles and the Holy Ghost are witnesses to the fact that Jesus is both a prince and a savior and that he gives repentance and forgiveness to people. The Holy Ghost bears witness. The Bible tells us in 1 John that it is the spirit that beareth witness. Because the spirit is truth. It is the spirit that beareth witness. You know the Holy Ghost can bear witness to some things. Mm-hmm. If you allow it to the Holy Ghost. Can say. Uh-huh. Or. Mm-mm. <laughs> it, can, it can bear witness. It's later in the book of Acts. Acts chapter number 15. Where they have this big squirmish. Over circumcision and stuff going on. And. Uh, eating things offered to idols, all these things, that, that the writer says that it seemed good unto us and to the Holy Ghost to set such and such in order and do such and such things. Because why do they say that? Because the Holy Ghost 
can bear witness to some things. And so we, this, in this nice little story, I want you to realize what's going on here. The setting, the setting has, has changed here just a little bit and will change. It's going to go from they're going to be, they're going to be you know, incarcerated. They're, they're, they're going to be taken to a point of certain death. They're going to receive beatings, and they're going to be released. Now, that's quite a roller coaster ride. Continuing in, in verse, number, verse number 33, if I can, whenever they heard all this that they had to say, when they heard that, that's paraphrase, sorry. <laughs> that's P-R-M-J paraphrase. When they heard that, they were cut to heart and took counsel to slay them. You guys go die now. So what we're, what we're looking at is the apostles on the verge of dying. They're going to lose their lives. That's the end of the story. But Gamaliel speaks up in verse 34. And look at the scripture. Then stood there up one in the council, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had in reputation among all the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, just a little space. Now look at this. This Gamaliel, he's a Pharisee, all right? And what we have here, since the, the greater majority of the Sanhedrin members are Sadducees, we have a Pharisee that's given advice predominantly predominantly to a Sadducee group. <laughs> I laugh every time I say Sadducee. I'm sorry. Amen. Predominantly to a Sadducee. Just that little mnemonic device that I've always made that just tickles me. Amen. Predominantly Sadducee group. And so this, this proves a little bit of the respectability of Gamaliel among the Sadducees, among the people for that matter. And also, biblical history even tells us, and you can read that for most part, Sadducees, or Pharisees rather, seem to have a better relationship with just the common man. That they, they, they got along better with just people more so than the Sadducees did. So then if the Sadducees wanted to sway and have sway with the people, then it was important for them to pay attention to the voice of a Pharisee to know how to do this among them. And so they give, they give audience here to Gamaliel, and the Bible says he speaks in verse 35, and said to them, Ye men of Israel, take heed unto yourselves, what you intend to do as touching these men, because you're about ready to kill them. So take heed to this. For before these days rose up Thutis. Isn't that an awesome name? Someone needs to name their kid that. Thutis. I'm sorry. Is this all right to have fun? Could you imagine a nickname here, Thu? <laughs> Honestly, this hit me today, and I looked up just the meaning of the name. It means to go with water, so I guess that means he's a pretty laid-back person because he goes with water. I mean, wherever water goes, that's where he goes. So he's laid-back. So next, your next kid, Thutis. Here, Thu. Amen. But here is, here is, here is. <laughs> Rose up Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, who was slain. And all, as many as obeyed him, were scattered and brought to naught. And after this man rose up Judas of Galilee. I don't have nothing special for you there. Judas of Galilee in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him. And he also perished and all, even as many as obeyed him, were dispersed. So you, you, start, you see the pattern? You have Thutis, 400 followers. Thutis gets killed. Followers scatter. You have Thutis and Judas. You have Judas... He has many followers, right? He perishes, he dies, or is killed. His followers disperse, right? So you see this thing. You have Jesus, several thought followers. He's crucified. Followers disperse. No, 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 no. No, let's see something here. He says in verse 38, and now I say unto you, refrain from these men and let them alone, for if this is the counsel, for if this counsel or this work be of men, it will come to naught. But if it be of God, ye cannot overthrow it, lest happily you be found even to fight against God. So what Gamaliel is contending here, he's contended that, that once the leaders these leaders who once had mass movements, if you will, of people, very successful, once they have been killed, their followers soon lose enthusiasm, right, for their cause, and they're just no longer to be found. There's no longer a group. There's no longer, you know, a movement to be spoken of. And so he's saying, because according to their oral estimation, Jesus is dead, right? They're not accepting he's been resurrected. 
Mm-mm. They're saying that he's dead. And so he's saying since he's dead, there's really no reason to take any action right now against anybody. Because if maybe we give this time, we won't have nothing to worry about anyway. But the fact of the matter, there's an upset in the pattern. It's not a leader, then a bunch of followers, and then the leader dies and all the followers disperse. Because it seems like ever since Acts 2 and forward, the followers have been doing what? Increasing, 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 increasing. And for that matter, a little by the way moment, Jesus didn't actually stay dead. Mama always told me if you want to compare, you need to do oranges with oranges and apples with apples. And you're trying to take something right here, have a mode here, and trying to put Jesus in it. But that's like trying to take this orange and compare it to this apple. It's not working, honey. It's not working. Amen. The followers are increasing, and Jesus is not dead. Now, let's consider something here tonight. Because people rally. People rally around these words of Gamaliel, and they kind of boil it down to this. If it's of God, he'll succeed. If not, he'll fail. That's what we boil it down to. If it's, of, if it's of God, he'll succeed. If it's not, he'll fail. Let me say this. I think that is a great principle when you consider the overall scheme of things concerning to the very end of time. But if I can be honest with you, I've seen some things fail that was God's will, such as the existence of churches totally depleting and then no longer be in existence. But a large part of the contingency of its success was sabotaged by people. Are you understanding? Are you catching my grief right here? Conversely, on the flip side, I've seen some things succeed that wasn't characteristic of God. I know this is kind of like out there, but if we were to just look at the numbers according to a business-type platform, uh, Budweiser has been a success. The adult industry has been a success. Well, that didn't mean they were of God. So, so we can't just look at the, the, the moment by moment things and say, well, if it's of God, it'll succeed. But if it's not, then it was of man or it'll fail. You cannot gauge God's will by the success or failure of the moment. But you can. Mark my words. You will be able to gauge God's will by the success and the failure of the culmination of all things at the end of time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because at the end of the time, those things that even appeared to be successful in the moment are going to come to a very, very short boom failure. Those things that seem to just, man, you know, that's the reason why David, was it Psalm 73 that he scratches? Why is the wicked, you know, flourishing as the grass? And he was seeing on every hand, successful, successful. Well, if he just went by the mind, well, if it's of God, it succeeds. If not, it fails. He could say, man, they must be doing something right and I'm not because look, they got the favor of God. That's not at all what that has to do with. If you'll remember the scripture in Ecclesiastes we read a few weeks ago, sometimes God is slow to exercise his judgment upon the wicked. But folks, the fact of the matter, he will amen in a day do it and at the end of the time that's where you want your success and failure range to go it's a success if you've already had your heartaches headaches and seem like a failure in this life but in the afterlife you're comforted though you were tormented in that Lazarus could say, man, I'm nothing. I've been tormented all my days upon this earth. But when he was taken to heaven, amen, he said, here I am comforted. Amen. And yet the rich man who seemed to be successful and comforted all throughout his lifetime, in the afterlife, he's tormented because you cannot measure the success and failure in the moment. You've got to do it through the eyes of eternity. Take at least five more, right? Five more minutes, that is. Not five more points, five more minutes. The real importance of Gamma Little's statement is this. Boys, you don't, you don't want to realize at some time in the future that you are, in fact, fighting against God. That's really the thrust to take away. You don't want to realize sometime in the future that you are, in fact, fighting against God. 
So unless you are positive about these people, what they are, who they are, what they stand for, then you better give it some time before you act irrationally because you don't want to find out then later that you are fighting against God. The Bible says in verse 40, and to him they agreed. And when they had called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in the name. Here we go again. <laughs> you know, it's because it's like they got thick heads they didn't get the first time, you know. Not speak in the name of Jesus. Let them go. So they, they beat them. They reproved them. They let them go. And this is not a surprise to the apostles, or at least it shouldn't be. Uh, for instance, in one setting in Scripture, Mark 13 and verse 9, Jesus had told them, he said, but take heed to yourselves for they shall deliver you up to councils and in the synagogue ye shall be beaten and ye shall be brought before rulers and kings for my sake for a testimony against them so this beating not really be a surprise matter of fact from my understanding you know most of the time when they beat someone they took it to the extent of the law all right which was the 39 stripes the way that they normally do that, a third of those stripes were placed up on the front of the individual, and this two-thirds of the stripes were placed on the back of the individual. And anybody that had those markings on their body, then they were certainly marked such sign of a, of a criminal was, was their lives. And so they went away, if you will, with that type of mark. But look at the response to all this in verse 41. And they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. just got lacerated up one side and down the other right for doing what angel told you to do <laughs> I mean let's let's start to qualify all this but God angel told me <laughs> you know and and whenever they walk away rather than crying rather than singing the blues you know they are rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name the Bible says in Philippians 1.29 that says this just in another way or again reiterates. It says, for unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. Paul writing to the Philippians, he's telling them, you've been privileged. You've been given a privilege as saints. You've been given a privilege as saints on the behalf of Christ. Not just the privilege of being able to believe on him but also the privilege of being able to suffer. We don't necessarily always look with those eyes. Oh, what a privilege to believe on the Lord. But he says it's a privilege. This has been given to you in his behalf to even suffer for him. Look at the last verse. We're doing it. You didn't thought it was possible. Put it as another miracle in the book of Acts. Verse 42. And daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. Here we go. <laughs> They're doing again what they've done before. And the witness, if you will, of, of the early church, it includes both teaching, okay, and preaching. That's a good balance. We need that balance of teaching and preaching. We need a proclamation, and we need a, an instruction. We need that balance. Because sometimes if all we were to have was proclamation, Nobody would know why we were. Oh, we'd rally around it because people rally around a cry and a woo. But you can have get a bunch of people excited about something they don't know anything about. So we need a proclamation and we need an instruction as well. But look at it here. It happened for them. It happened daily and they seized not. They cease not. And two places in particular, this evangelism, if you want to call it, this evangelism was taking place. It took place in the temple. But the Bible says also, though, in every house. Or if I may just boil it down, it happened at the church, and it happened at the house and everywhere else in between the church and the house. There's no, there's no perimeters to this thing. It just exploded. You'll stand with me nice. So they were persecuted, yes, but they weren't forsaken. In jail, angel shows up. Going to meet death, a Gamaliel shows up. Not even a part of their apostle group. Teaching and preaching, come short of their life. 
by all means get released and they're at it again, persecuted. But they were not forsaken. If we bow our heads in this place here tonight, Brother Mason, if you'll come here this evening. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.